Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Okay, we are going to be in Exodus 20. There's an old Jewish proverb about uh, a rabbi who lived in a small town, and he was a man of very good reputation, a man of good character, and he had given many, many years of his life to serving people in the ministry and serving people in that community. And they saw him as an honest, forthright, you know, trustworthy, full of integrity, hardworking man, and he was very, very well respected. Um, until one day, a visitor came to their town. A new resident joined them in that small town. And for reasons that were unknown to this rabbi, this new resident started saying things that were untruthful about this rabbi, horrible things. Um, undermining his credibility and undermining his character. And so what happened was, interestingly enough, regardless of the years that this man took to build his reputation, to build his character, to build what people knew of him to be, um, these words led to a lot of speculation and division among the community. And some people even became suspicious of the rabbi's character, and others assumed that every negative thing that they heard was true. And they turned against this rabbi. And it really devastated this man who had worked so hard for so many years to build up um, his work in that community. And this went on for a long time. And uh, that visitor decided that he would stay there. He'd remain in that town and call it his home. Well, after an extended period of time, that man who started the, the false accusations came back um, and he came to the or he came to the rabbi. And he said, uh, Rabbi, I, I regret what I've done. I regret the things that I said years ago. They were unfounded. They were untrue. And I want to make it up to you. How, how can I make it up to you? How can I fix what is broken? How can, I, how can I straighten what I've made crooked? So the rabbi told him, I want you to go home and, and take your pillow off of your bed. And, and I want you to go outside on a windy day. And I want you to tear the pillowcase open and I want you to scatter all of the feathers from your pillow into the wind. So the man thought it was a little strange, but he went and did it. After he did that, he returned back to meet with the rabbi and he said, Rabbi, I've done what you've asked. Is there anything else that I can do? And the rabbi said, yes. You need to, you need to go get your pillowcase, your empty pillowcase now, and I want you to go back out and collect every single feather. Well, the man said, that's impossible, Rabbi. You know I can't do that. And the rabbi said, exactly. That's my point. Where we find ourselves today is this issue of bearing false witness, false testimony about your neighbor, or in other words, lying about someone. And, and what we need to understand is that once we have released 
an untruth. It can never, it, it can never be regained. We can never regain the truth from a lie that has been told. And to some degree, that thing goes on to live forever. And, and it harms those people that we are called to love. So where you're going to find this is in Exodus chapter 20. If you've not been tuning in with us um, for the last uh, nine weeks now, we've been studying the Ten Commandments one by one, and today we find ourselves on the Ninth Commandment, and so it's Exodus 20, verse 16, and the Ninth Commandment is, is very simply this. It, it's do not lie, and here's how it's, here's how it's read, um, and here's how God says it in Moses, or through Moses in Exodus chapter 20 verse 16, he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. So depending on your translation, it'll say something like that. So when you read it like that, it it gives you a sense of this being a a legal proceeding, right? Like um, like, uh, there is a courtroom and, and someone's coming in to give false, you know, to give a, a, an accurate testimony. And, and, and so in a day, you got to think about when this was written, in a day when they didn't have video cameras and CSIs and DNA evidence and forensic investigation and all that stuff, truth and justice would rise and fall on the basis of an eyewitness testimony on their character and on their credibility. And even in our day to day, it still happens like that. I mean, it's still the way many things are resolved. Like if you're in a traffic accident, what, you know, what's the, what's the police officer do? He goes out and he gets, he tries to get, you know, uh, people's phone numbers to give a report that, you know, any eyewitnesses that may have been there and they tell the story of what they saw, right? If you're present for a crime, your information is collected and you might even be brought into a legal proceedings as a witness to what happened, to give your testimony of what you saw. And in order for there to be justice in a society, there has to be credibility among the testimony of the people who, who, who say what happened. So here in, in Exodus 20, it's talking about, it words it in that way. It's talking about those kinds of legal proceedings where, you know, you know, you know, some of you maybe have been involved before in lawsuits, right? Or maybe you've been brought in, I mean, maybe you haven't been sued or sued somebody, but maybe you've been brought in by a, as, as a witness for something, you've been asked to testify. So those those kinds of circumstances will, will most assuredly fall under the jurisdiction of this ninth commandment, when you have to give testimony about something. And so here's the whole point about the ninth commandment. Here's the point. It's just very simply this. It's what you've heard many, many times. Tell the truth, tell the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And, and you know, we tend to add to the end of that phrase, so help me God, although I believe our country has removed that phrase completely, I think, now. Um, and that's because our culture tends to um, separate truthfulness away from the judgment of God, and that's just where we're at. But the big idea here is this. It's the truth. That's what we're talking about. Telling the truth, telling the entire truth, and telling nothing but the truth. That's what God intends. That's what he's saying in the ninth commandment. That's what God seeks, and that's what God commands, and that's what God demands from us. The reason why is because that's what God demonstrates himself. I mean, how does God, do we know how God feels about lies, about falsehood? Yeah, we do. He doesn't, he doesn't keep it hidden from us. In fact, he's very, in fact, he's very strong about how he feels about lying. Proverbs 6 tells us this. In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, there, it says that there are things that God detests, There are things that God hates, 
things that he uh, abhors that, that are abomination to him. I mean, have you ever thought about, I mean, is, there, is that, do you have things like that in your life? Like what, what angers you? What frustrates you? What upsets you? What are things that, you know, that you might say, I don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. I don't have the patience to endure that. that I can't tolerate that. Well, listen, God has a list like that. God has a list like that. In fact, he says there are six things that he hates. It's very strong language. And seven that are an abomination to him. And then it goes on to say this, a false witness who breathes out lies. That's Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Here's why God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. Because it's not just an offense on that person the person who's committing the offense, you're actually involving God who made you and another person as well. The Bible, the Bible says it this way about God. It says in Titus 1 that God never lies. Some translations actually say God cannot lie, which means God is only truthful. God is truth. I mean, we know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is always, he's altogether truthful. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in God's character that is untrustworthy, unreliable. There is no deception in, his, in, in him at all. There's no dishonesty in God at all. There is no darkness in, his, in, in, in him, his, his presence, in his being. God is truth. But then Jesus says about the, the enemy of God in John 8, he says of Satan that he is a liar, that he's the father of all lies. So when you are lying, you are giving birth with Satan to death. I mean, and, and that's what I mean, that's that's what lying is. It's it's speaking the language of death. It's 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 Satan's native language. Um, you know, some of you maybe are bilingual. You know, or or maybe you can speak multiple languages on a, on a on you know. Can you? I mean, you t- you've taken you've taken what four years of Spanish? Can you, can you speak Spanish? Yeah, but you can speak a little Spanish, right? So you have two languages that you could possibly speak, right? Your native language, which is your first language, and Spanish. Would you say that English is easier? Yeah, that so that's English is your native language. Jesus says of Satan, he's bilingual. He can communicate lots of things. And he communicates lies to the whole world because his first language, his native language, his native tongue is lying. That's all it is. That's all he does. So God says, if you're one of my people and you reject the truth and you participate in some way in a lie, I hate that. And the reason God hates that is because of the root of that lie. It's satanic. It's demonic. It's an offense, a direct offense against God. It's an affront against God. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. And I hope that you get that. I hope that we get that the depth of the theology of the ninth commandment. And so what needs to happen for us is we need to get out of this mindset, out of these categories of, oh, what do you think? You know, what do I think happened? Or what is your truth, right? How do I feel about this? And instead, ask questions like, what does God say? And he puts lying at such an incredible position of hatred 
that we really have to stop and pause and think about this in a serious way. I mean, see things the way God sees them, feel things the way God feels them, respond to things the way God responds and the way God desires for us to respond. And the reason why is because God loves his glory and he also loves your neighbor. And that's what all 10 of these commandments are about. They begin, the first two commandments, they begin with upholding the glory of God and then the rest of them, the next eight, are about how you love your neighbor and how those two things are always connected. You know, one of the things that happens to us in in our culture as we transition from theology to therapy, what I mean by that is there was a time where theology was important in our college, in our culture. Um, What I mean by that is, you know, theology being a belief in and behavior according to, to who God is and what God says. That's theology, so a culture of theology. When you move from that to a culture of therapy, which is, in essence, how do I feel, and choosing behavior according to whatever I feel is right. What happens when we move from those, from theology to therapy, is that our lives move from being God-centered to being me-centered. And what is lacking in a me-centered way of living is any real love for your neighbor. For others. And so what happens is we, at, at our core, we, we, we use people. We don't love them. We manipulate people. Even though it may look like that we're being kind, it may appear, there's an appearance of kindness. It's, it's a manipulation to get something else to happen. And when we lie, we are saying, what we are saying is that the lie is going to benefit me, but at someone else's expense. And I'm okay with that because I'm more important than you. That's a me-centered mindset. People came to Jesus and they asked Jesus to summarize the laws, right? Summarize the Ten Commandments, basically. And Jesus says, well, if you want me to try to fit the Ten Commandments into a tweet, then, then here it is. Love God, love your neighbor. And that's the summary. So the first four commandments are about loving God. The last six are about loving your neighbor. And God doesn't just love you. God, God loves your neighbor. And, and you may lie or stretch the truth or don't give the entire truth because it benefits you in some way, but it always comes at the expense of someone else. It comes out of the account of your neighbor. And I know that some, some of you might be thinking, well, there are some lies, though, that really don't affect and harm other people at all, but you're wrong because that harms and affects you. It's hard. Every time you speak an untruth, you know it's not true. You know it's a lie. And even if it may not hurt somebody else directly, it's hurting your character. It's hurting who you are when no one's looking. And that's, a, that's something that you can't overlook the value of your character. And so if you read with me this verse, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God loves your neighbor. God cares about your neighbor. A lie is an offense on his glory, and it's also an offense on your neighbor's good. And that's plain and simple. It it just hurts people. Here's how it's stated. This is stated in more places in Scripture. In Proverbs 25, 18, The proverb writer says that a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow that's beating someone. It's like assaulting someone. It's it's, it's like murder on their reputation. Um, So really, if you're lying and and it's involving someone else, 
what you're really doing, it's the equivalent of pulling a gun on them. I mean, you're, you're intending to do malicious harm to, to do willful, it's willful intent to harm somebody else. That's what a lie ends up being. And so by its most basic definition, a lie can really be two things. If you just boil it down to its most basic definition, a lie bearing false witness is this. It's saying anything that is untrue or not saying all that is true. Saying anything that is untrue or not saying all that is true. I'll give you, a, I'm going to illustrate it in a, a little bit here, I'll give you some stories, I guess. When we first started this church known as Oasis, um, I mean, it's actually l- longer than what we've been in Athens. We met uh, for a while in, in uh, my parents' home down in Meigs County, and that's where we were when this first began. And really, the internet had, you know, common use of the internet had had been around for probably six or seven years. We were using it in St. Louis in the mid-90s, but it was like Juno, I think, was my email account, or AOL. Everybody got those AOL discs in the mail, right? And you signed up for the free service for a month, and then as soon as that was over, you used something else. There was some other one, too, and then you go back to AOL. It was like the old BMG in Columbia CDs back in the day and getting those free things. But anyway... Uh, when we first started this church, the internet was just kind of becoming popular for churches to use to post their sermons online. And I had actually been doing this thing called blogging, and I had a personal blog, and I would I would post things that I, that came to you know that I thought about and and whatnot. But then I also started posting sermons on that blog so that people could comment, you know, they could listen to the sermon and they could comment under the post in sort of a discussion, provide interaction, if you will. Well, this one day I, I log on. And I see a really lengthy response underneath a sermon that I had preached the week before from Ephesians chapter 5 regarding the family and the roles that God desires for husbands and wives and children. And, and, you know, to make a long story short, a woman who I had actually never met listened to the sermon on the Internet, online somewhere, and she determined through, through listening of one sermon that I hate women that I was a misogynist, that I was probably abusing my wife because of my archaic views, and that I would probably abuse my, my raise my daughter as an, in a, an abusive way too. And uh, I responded graciously after, uh, not immediately, I, I would caution all of you about that, uh, thought about it, prayed about it, the next day responded graciously, thanked her for her thoughts and her perspective, and I mentioned that um, she had never met me. I had mentioned that she's never met my wife, she's never met my children, she's, she's never been to my home or even into my town that I knew of, and doesn't, doesn't know any of the people that actually know who I am or have relationship with me, and it was actually a pretty audacious move on her part to make a judgment about a person from such a distance after listening to one sermon. Well, after that response, she responded again, and she was even more fired up <laughs> because now I was doing this thing that she told me that, um, that I was I was mansplaining to her, is what she said. And so she decided that she was going to spread it all over the internet, that people should avoid me, avoid my teachings, avoid my church at all costs. And it was really, it was, it was kind of harsh words. It was strong stuff. I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't end up kind of fizzling out. I was devastated for a week or so. I just, that's all I thought about. And, um, and I, I finally just said, hey, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but what you're saying about me just is not true. It just is not true. And she said, well, I believe it is true. And that's just kind of where the conversation ended. And 
And it, it, was a, it was a false testimony. I mean, that's, it was bearing false witness. She chose to bear false witness about someone that she did not know. And look, that, uh, that's, a, a, that's how lies work. A lie can be when we say things that aren't true. But here's the other thing. This is a really interesting thing. A lie can also be when we don't say everything that is true. There are times when we formulate accounts of things that, you know, we, we, we release a little bit of the facts, right? But we hold a few back. We arrange the facts in a particular order so that what was the truth is, is, is a little different now. Like what was the actual truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth is actually a little different now. Maybe because it benefits you in some way or maybe you, you, know, you feel like you'll get away with it and it's, you know, it makes it, more, it, it, you know, it, uh, um, it, it makes the story more exciting or whatever. And, uh, and we got to be careful with that. And I, and I want to say this. I, I want to I make sure that I say this on this point too because I know that, that some of you watching might be really religious, okay? Um, maybe like you're really tidy. I mean, you're like everything is in an order, right? You're, you're very right brain. Like your, your spice rack is in alphabetical order. Your shirts are all ironed, even your T-shirts. Uh, you're just really tidy, right? You're, you're like an engineer type brain, an accountant. You're a control freak, okay? And right now all the people that are, that are those people are like, hey, okay, move on, Chris. Move on with the sermon. Uh, you tidy folks will have a tendency to do this. You're going to go to the ninth commandment and you're going to, you're going to read it and you're going to say, you're, you're not going to give any grace to anyone when they need it. All right. I, I'm basically using the word tidy for legalistic. So I'm going to usually when you say someone's legalistic, they tune out, but that's what I mean. So what I mean by that is this, some people are going to hold to the letter of the law about this and in doing so violate the spirit of the law. There's always a spirit behind these things and you got to have discernment of how to apply and how to appropriately apply these things in our lives. There is a difference, and here's what I mean by that. I'm not, I'm not qualifying this law at all, but we need to understand how it works. There's a difference between a mistake and malice, okay? The real issue behind untruth, speaking untruth, and giving false testimony is not making a mistake and therefore not telling the truth, it's where there's malice, it's got, there's an intent to deceive, right? But people sometimes will make mistakes and in their mistake, they may not speak what is true about something. Let me give you, a, I, I'll illustrate this like this. All right, April, here comes a story about you, sorry. She's like, oh great. It's a good one, all right? Something about my wife, she has this peculiar spidey sense to find lost things, all right? Like, I'll think something's lost and I'll say, hey, well, that's gone forever, I can't find it, you know? And then she'll come walking into the room with it five minutes later. And so anytime I lose something, you know, I'll, I'll diligently look for five or six seconds and then I'll yell out, hey, have you seen my keys? You know, and and because um, I know she has and I know that she'll find them and so she's, she's just, she, it's an amazing ability, right? Um, some of you guys probably understand what I'm saying. So I recently asked her, hey, have, do you have the van key? And she said, oh, it's hanging on the rack in there beside the door. So I go to the rack and I, I, I look at the rack and the key's not there. In that moment, should I invoke the ninth commandment? Liar, you lied. My wife's a liar, I'm married a liar. I can't trust her. Our whole relationship is built on the foundation of lies and deceit. That's not, I mean, you, you get the difference, right? I mean. 
the key was probably actually on the rack and I moved it, or maybe she forgot that she put them in her purse. Something happened, right? But regardless, it was a mistake. Yeah, what she said wasn't true. They weren't there. But that's the kind of untruth. That's what I mean by a legalist will say, well, that's a lie. It's not, that's not a lie because the, the intent is not malice. There's a difference between a mistake and malice. Hopefully, hopefully you're getting that, right? Um, malice is different. Now I'll use an illustration from my own life growing up. I was raised by a mom and a dad, Mike and Sharon Stewart, who are on the online with us today. You'll never see my dad's name in, the, in there, but he's always watching my mom's uh, iPad or phone too. He doesn't have his own Facebook account. But uh, they're online, with, and since they're online, I should say I love you, and I should publicly apologize for my childhood because I know that sometimes raising me was probably like raising a small attorney, right, with evil intent because uh, I could be quite a litigator when I needed to be. And I actually thought about, I mean, one of the, one of the jobs that they always they asked me when I entered high school that I would like to do was I thought about going into law and, and, and being an attorney. As soon as a guidance counselor told me how much reading there was involved with that, I quickly changed my mind. So uh, I, I love to read now, I just didn't then. But anyway, as a little kid, I would negotiate everything with my parents, like when I'd get in trouble. They would, they would tell me what I was in trouble for, and I say that like it happened a lot, right? I, they'd, you know, they'd tell me what I was in trouble for today, and I'd build a case, and I'd defend myself, and I'd be the, either the accusing attorney, you know, like blaming it on my brother, or I'd be the defending attorney, you know, giving myself a defense. And uh, so I'll just give you one, just like one generic occasion, all right? When I was a little kid, I always wanted to go out and ride my bike and just have fun and play with my friends all day long. That was something that we used to do back in the day. Uh, go outside and play with our friends. Um, it was it was summertime, and uh, I wanted to go out and have a good time. So I came to my mom and I said, "Hey, mom, you care if I jump on my bike and go down to my buddy's house?" I had a friend that, whose dad had a Trans Am. This was in the '80s, right? Had a Trans Am, and he never drove it. And so my friend and I used to sit in the Trans Am and pretend that we were Smokey and the Bandit. And that's you know probably one of the things I was wanting to do that day is just go sit in the Trans Am. Had T tops, really cool thing, and. Uh, and I said, hey, can I go down to my, my friend's house and play? You know, we're going to do this and that and whatnot. And she said, okay, you can do that, but you, you, you can go only after your room is cleaned. And she said, so is your room clean? And my response was, and I quote, it should be. Right? Mom said, okay, well, if it should be, then you can go have fun with your friends. So I jump my bike, ride down past the old cinder pile and on down through the neighborhood and I get far away, have a nice day with my friends. We probably go out in the woods for a little bit. We probably play a little ball, just playing all day long, all the way until it's dark. They didn't worry about us. They knew we were fine. Came back after day, you know, for, for dinner. I walk in the door and when I walk in the door, there's my mom. And the first thing I hear is Christopher Michael. And whenever a sentence begins with Christopher Michael, you know it's not gonna be good after that. You lied to me. You said your room was clean. So little attorney Christopher Michael responds with, well, that's not actually what I said. I said it should be clean. And it should be, right? I mean, you and I both know it's that, that I, it should be clean, but it's not. Was that a mistake? 
<laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, it turned out to be a huge mistake in, of, in judgment on my part, but it was not a mistake. That's not a mistake, right? In fact, the three witnesses of mom, dad, and the wooden spoon would, would testify that my intent was to deceive, right? Um, that's what happened to Christopher Michael. Um, it was malice. It was, it was not a mistake. It was my motive was to manipulate and to get something that I wanted um, without having to do what I was being told to do. There is a difference, Okay. So, so there are times in life when we need to give, we need to hear what someone's saying and give them grace just because they made a mistake on the details. You know, you know, it's like, hey, I thought the keys were hanging up, but they're not. Sorry, I made a mistake, right? And then there are times when the intent is to deceive where the motive is not pure. And that's a difference. That's a huge difference. So what I want to do now and for the really for the rest of our time is I just want to, I, I want to look at four areas. I just thought of four, four, four really main basic areas of our normal everyday lives where we can allow a lie to creep in, right? And that's kind of way, that's the way it happens, right? I mean, like sin is kind of like water and it always will find that crack. If you got a crack somewhere, because water will find the lowest point and it finds an opportunity to just seep through a crack. It'll just settle there and, and, until it can erode something and fall through a crack. And that's really, when we're dealing with these 10, the Ten Commandments, um, that's kind of the way we've had to do it, right? I mean, I, we deal first with the principle and the theology of the commandment, but then I'd like to try to make it really practical and deal with it um, the way it the way it pops up in our everyday lives. Um, I can't deal with it in all of the ways it pops up, but it will at least look at, at four potential areas of your life and mine where this sin can creep in, um, because that's what happens. Sin will look for a low point in our lives where it just settles in and it begins to destroy us. So I want to look at these low points with you and uh, these areas where this ninth commandment is frequently um, and really easily, easily violated without even thinking about it. The first one is this, flattery. You may not have thought about it in this way, right? Um, I gotta ask, have you guys enjoyed the 10 commandments? I mean, I, hopefully hopefully you have, right? I've, I've done a decent job for you, right? You like the songs I select before the, the 10 commandments? Cool, make sure you tell me, right? You like my shirt? It's got a new shirt, right? You like this? You see what's happening here, what, what I'm doing, okay? You know, and, and, and I got to tell you guys, hey, during these online services, you all have been amazing. The participation is strong. You're sharing it, your response. I, and the reason why is because I've got the best people on earth. You guys are the best people on earth to talk to every Sunday. Thank you. Thank you for being that. I mean, you are absolutely incredible. So one of the ways that we violate this ninth commandment is, is flattery. Right. It's, see how easy that was. Right. I mean, for the for for a minute, you might have been like, oh, I kind of like this. You know, he's. But I think he might be setting us up for something because he's not usually this nice. Right. There might be a point where he's going to punch us here in a second. So here's the punch. Here's the punch. Psalm twelve verse two says, "Everyone who utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak." Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. So you can have a double mind. You can be double-minded. You can have a double tongue. You can speak out of one side of your mouth and then turn around and say something completely different. But the Bible says you can also have a double heart. And a double heart is where this thing called flattery takes place. Flattery is, it's insincere. And it's, it's I would say it's, it's, 
if you define it like Webster's Dictionary, it's insincere and excessive praise intended to manipulate. That's what flattery is. Um, you know, how many of you, you, you know, there was a kid in your family who was the favorite because they were always the kiss up, right? Um, you know, hey, mom, you look so nice. Have you lost weight, right? And hey, could I have a cookie, by the way? Because it's obvious you're not eating them anymore, right? Those kinds of people, <laughs> you know, those siblings that, you know, they're, they're looking for two things, right? I mean, you, 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 uh, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's, that's not right. That's, and I should have thought of that too. You know, maybe at school, right? At school, there was always this way. At school, you had the teachers and then you had the suck-ups, right? The teacher, you know, the, the suck-up that says, hey, teacher, you know, I showed up early this morning, right? I got my homework done. I brought you an apple. I prayed for you this morning. Are there any garbage cans I can take out for you? Do I have to take the test today? You know, oh, no, you don't have to take the test, right? Those kind of, I mean, if you fall for flattery, that kind of stuff can work. How many of you have this person at work, Right? There's a, there's a, maybe a suck up to the boss. They're always sucking up to the boss so they can manipulate the boss to get a, out of the tough task or the, to get a promotion or to get the better jobs, right? This happens all the time. We do this all the time. It's called flattery and it's dishonest. It's not true. Dishonesty is lying. When we, when we present ourselves in a dishonest way, the reason why flattery is a violation of this ninth commandment is because you're not saying what's true necessarily, but you're saying what they want to hear. You're saying what you know they want to hear, and you're doing it in a way to manipulate them. There may be times where you're even saying what is true, and you're saying it in a way to manipulate them, because the motive of the heart in flattery is deception. That's what flattery is. Now, we gotta be careful with this one, though, and I wanna make sure that I say this because it's different from encouragement, the gift of encouragement. I wanna distinguish these because flattery is not trying to encourage someone in the truth. Flattery is trying to lie to manipulate the situation, to manipulate the outcome. And, and, and hopefully you can see the difference and you can feel the difference. But the reality is some of you truly do have the gift of encouragement. I mean, you're just naturally encouraging. You're generally happy. You're, you, as a person, you look at the bright side, your, your glass is always half full with every scenario in life. You have a positive um, outlook on it and you have a way of presenting it in a positive way and that's just your heart because it's pure and it's encouraging. Well, that's different from flattery. Someone who truly has the gift of encouragement, they're willing to say the truthful, hard things. A person who is, is just using flattery all the time won't say the hard things when hard things need to be said. But a person who's gifted in encouragement will say the hard things, but they'll do so in love for the good of the person. But the person who's flattering doesn't do so for the good of the person. They're never saying it for the good of the person. They're doing it so that maybe you'll look at them in a, in a, in a positive way. They're not helping you, they're helping themselves. They're not loving you, they're loving themselves. So be careful with flattery. Flattery is, 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 is untruthful. A second one, a second way that this, this works in to our lives is just outright deception, just deception. 1 John 3, 7 says this, little children, let no one deceive you. So here's the big idea. I mean, is John only talking to little kids? when he writes his, no, he's not. In fact, he uses this kind of language throughout his, all three of his, his uh, letters. Uh, you might not feel like a little kid, like a little child. We usually don't, right? You're a, if you're an adult, you feel like an adult, right? Well, God is our father and he looks at us in some regards like we're, his, like we're kids, like we're little kids, like we're our he's our children. And John the apostle, at the time of writing these words, 
John is a man of about 100 years old. And he, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and he's looking at his church. He's thinking about his church. And his church includes people of all ages, just like ours does. And he says to them, little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Have you noticed how easy it is for kids to be deceived? I mean, they're, they're almost like dogs, right? You could take, you could take a ball and fake a throw a hundred times, and the dog will still think you're going to throw it, right? Kids, some kids are like it. Little kid, I mean, you could you could fool a kid really easily, right? They're gullible, they're naive, they haven't had life experiences yet to know that you're that you're deceiving them, and that's why they need to be governed by good parents, right, to help them work through those kinds of things. Uh, you could tell them things, and they'll actually believe it. Well, that's that's sometimes the way we are. As adults, I mean, sometimes we don't just have a childlike faith. We have a childish faith. We're too trusting sometimes of people who are deceptive. We find ourselves in dangerous circumstances. We, we find ourselves embracing dangerous teachings that are not true, that are not founded in the scripture. And so John says, hey, kids, be like, I'm talking to you like little children because it's, you got to understand it's a sin to deceive somebody, but it's also a sin to allow someone to deceive you. Think about that. I mean, this means that they are responsible for their deception and we are responsible for believing their deception, right? The old adage, what is it? Uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, that's not scripture, but you understand the principle is, 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 is in most part the same. It's look, we need, to, we, need to, we need to be wise, right? It, it is wise for us to investigate something when we hear it being told. It's wise for us to make sure that something is true that we read, that we watch, that we hear someone else say. We're not always, always victims of this. Sometimes we're morally culpable and responsible for believing the lies that we allow into our brains. So deception is when someone will twist what the truth is to use it like what the proverb or the psalm says, as a weapon for harm and destruction. I, I, I have to be careful here, but I'm going to ask it because it's relevant, right? I mean, it's where we're all living right now. How many of you don't believe all the propaganda that comes out every day regarding the coronavirus? I don't. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, you'll, you'll read one thing here and it'll claim scientific facts here and you'll read another thing right underneath it claiming scientific fact and it'll be completely different. And then someone else will say something completely different. And so, I, 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 you know, how many of us though are watching, like you look at your social media and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my, oh my goodness, right? You watch and immediately you, you, you think to yourself, well, I, that, that may or may not be true, right? We may not be getting the whole story here or maybe some, a few facts are being omitted here. And the reason why that happens in the world of propaganda is because we are, you, you, you are always being told what not necessarily is the truth, but what people want you to see. Look, that's the world we live in. I'm sorry, it's not a secret. I don't think it's, any, it's become so widespread. 
I think someone, I mean, when, when you look at, when you think about politics, right? When you look at someone who is in a political career, it's just natural to automatically assume that there are lies that are going to come out of the mouth at some point, right? And we don't even use the words lying politician anymore because it's redundant. You can use one of the words and it means the same thing. It's unfortunate, but it's, it is what it is. And that's where we are today. And that's why we, that's why John says, little children, be careful. Don't let people deceive you, right? Do you believe criminals? If they've, if they've lied to get where they are, it's hard to believe sometimes, right? How about advertising? How many of you don't trust marketing and advertising? I mean, there might be some truth about what you're seeing, but then there's always like fine print, right? I mean, have you ever looked at an ad and thought to yourself, ooh, that looks amazing. It's almost too good to be true. Well, if it's too good to be true and that is the case, what does it make it? It's a lie. And all that fine print underneath undermines everything that they're trying to tell you in the main portion of that advertisement. There are a lot of ways that we practice deception. And again, it is demonic. It's the issue. It is, is, it is a satanic, evil issue. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. God creates our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he speaks the truth to them. And then Satan comes to them. And what does he do? He lies to them. And when he lies to them, they believe it and they sin against God. And Paul, the apostle, says on more than one occasion that Satan did what? He did what to Eve? He deceived her. Deception is demonic. Deception is where you are pretending that you're communicating the truth, but you know in your heart there is a lie somewhere inside of that truth, inside of maybe what may be true in some ways. I'm gonna move on to the third one. I'm gonna move on, because I got four, and I wanna get through all four of them. And I don't have a watch. My watch broke, and so I can't tell you what time it is. Okay, we're in good shape. The third one is this, slander. So slander is a spoken form of, of the verbal form of, of something or what would be considered libel or defamation, which would be the written form uh, of something or, or written form, typed form. Leviticus 9.16 or 19.16 says, you shall not go around as a slanderer. So slander is malicious and it's, and it's often false information used to inflict harm on somebody, usually in their reputation or something like the story that I told at the very beginning of the sermon. You know, there are people out there, and maybe maybe you've been one of these kinds of people. We're case builders, right? We are always building a case. We're looking for information. We're collecting information. We're collecting it so that we'll have stones ready to throw at someone else. We're just waiting, right? We're looking. We're searching. We're arranging information to try to challenge or attack someone's character or integrity when the moment is right. And the reason why is because we've already decided that they're our enemy. And, and in our day, when we have an opportunity to slander people more immediately and effectively ever than in the history of the world through technology and social media, this is huge. Communication today is instant, constant, global, and permanent. It's instant, means you can get upset right now and send it out. I mean, it's, some of you right now could get really upset at what I'm saying and immediately send out something that would go to thousands of people. They could read it. It's constant. 
What I mean by that is it's happening 24 hours a day. You no longer just sit down and watch the news in the morning and once in the evening. Now it's on constantly. So what happens? We got to find stuff to say, right? We got to find something to say now that was a little more shocking than what we said five minutes ago. So it's seven days a week, constant, 24 hours a day. Everyone can hear it and we all have the ability to do it. Now with our own social media, we have the ability to create our own news or to project our own news, our own thoughts about the news. And we're always commenting on it. We're always doing it. We're always going to it right away, right? It's constant. Constant, constant. It's global, which means literally the entire world can be involved. You can say something and someone across the globe on the entire other side of the earth can read it today in a, in a minute. Certainly your, your entire community where you live can easily see it. And you know what else? It's permanent. Once it's out there, it's out there. It's forever. This is really concerning in an age of social media. It's, it's something that we, we, we go about every day and we don't even think about it. I mean, just think for a minute, all of the information that you put out, just pause for a moment. If I were to ask you to do a homework assignment and think of all the information, just this past week, all the information that you put out there, either in your texts, your emails, phone calls, conversations, and then now it's moved to your social media posts, your social media comments, blogs, whatever it is you might write, right? Whatever the case may be, all the things that you put, things that you forwarded, forwarded that maybe you didn't even comment on, but because it came from your account, it looks like I agree with this and I, I am, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of this. Now listen, listen to these words from Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 36. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I mean, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Oh my. How many of you didn't realize that Jesus has internet access right now? <laughs> You're like, ooh, had I known that, I, I maybe would have posted a little differently, right? I maybe would think a little, a little longer before I get on there. I mean, imagine you, you, you die and you stand before Jesus and Jesus pulls up all of your social media accounts. He's got all of your social media accounts, right? Every comment, every post, everything. And he's like, okay, we're gonna go through, we'll start with Instagram, all right? And the next we're gonna go to Twitter and the next we're gonna go to Facebook and then we're gonna go to Pinterest even, right? We're gonna go, to, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Snapchat and you're like, oh, you can't see that. Oh, no, Jesus, Jesus is able to snap Snapchats, right? And then we're gonna look at your emails. By the way, Jesus says, I, I recorded all your conversations. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm way worse than the NSA. I've got it all. <laughs> what? Yeah. And we're accountable for all that. Well, Jesus, I, I, I really didn't think that was gonna be, I mean, that big of a deal. I mean, the grand scheme of things, I mean, in the day we're living in, you know, that's just the way things are. I mean, it, you say something stupid, you might get called out on it, but then someone else will say something even dumber here in five minutes and yours is forgotten in a couple of days. Jesus says, you know what, I, I, I haven't forgotten. It was slander. It was defamation. What you said was untrue. What you posted was untrue. It wasn't completely true. Even if you, and even if you told the truth, you told it with untrue motives, with, with a motive to, to, with un, you know, with a motive to harm them. You didn't love your neighbor in, in the way you spoke. You, you, you didn't love the truth. You know, I'll give you an example from a friend of mine. He's 
much, much older friend. He's a, a, a dead friend. His name is Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a personal friend, but I do look forward to meeting him in heaven one day because Charles Hayden Spurgeon is one of the greatest Bible teachers in the history of the world. If you've never read anything by Charles Spurgeon, look him up. You can actually follow his Twitter account. He's not tweeting from heaven. Somebody else is just putting his quotes with his name on. So look him up, Charles Spurgeon. He started preaching as an 18-year-old boy in London, England, and uh, he came to this church. Uh, there was a dead and dying church that was formerly really large. They hired him as an 18-year-old. He was Holy Spirit-anointed preacher, um, just full of, 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 of love for the truth, and uh, he, would con- he began teaching the Bible at the church in a powerful way, and that church exploded. And for many years, uh, early in his ministry, as a young man, he was single, right? And so the, the local paper really went after him about that, about being a, a pastor of a church who was single, and they're in London. And one of the things that they reported one time early in his ministry was that he was a ladies' man, that he was, you know, Charles Spurgeon was a player. Uh, he took advantage of young women. And they actually printed a story that, that went like this. They said that young women would show up early to hear this popular pastor preach. He would have, he had a, now at this time he had a congregation of about five or 6,000 people okay, in that day in, in London. So this was huge, right? It was, it was actually the biggest known church in the history of the world in that day, Okay. So the report that was written was that young women would show up early, they'd get all dressed up, and they'd sit in the front row, and they'd just kind of fawn over the pastor, right? And it said that he would, they would go up to the platform like Cinderella, and they would take one shoe off, and they'd leave it on the platform hoping that he would come to their house and, and return it to them, right? And fit it on their foot like Cinderella, like live happily ever after. It's a really scandalous thing. It never happened. That, kind of, that stuff never happened, but it was printed, Right, I mean, like zero girls left a shoe. You know, he had no inappropriate relations with any women, and it was just a lie. It was an absolute lie that devastated him, and he struggled with depression his entire life anyway. And he said this was like trying to fight off the mist. You know, he said it, it killed him that the story that was being reported falsely was being believed by so many people. And, and it was it was reported in this London newspaper. And then it was picked up by an international newswire because he was such a popular preacher, which means that all of a sudden this story got printed in hundreds and thousands of newspapers all around the world, including the United States of America. And he followed up with the press in London and, and sat down with them and talked with them. And they eventually did print a retraction. It's basically, sorry, we lied about Charles Spurgeon. But the Newswire never picked it up. And, and so it didn't go out everywhere. And, and all anybody ever heard, a lot of people look all over the rest of the world, was that he had taken advantage of young women and manipulated them as a pastor. And he said this haunted him. This literally haunted him for his entire life because as he would travel even later in his ministry and do interviews, particularly interviews with people in America, they would always go back to that point that they remembered reading about. So Spurgeon, why did you take advantage of young women? He'd be like, oh, no, not again, you know. I mean, imagine if he'd lived today. Imagine if Charles Spurgeon, I mean, he canceled just like that. I mean, look, it's... What you and I say, what you and I write, it's, it's binding. It's binding upon us as worshipers of the one true God to worship him with our lives in spirit and in what? 
truth. That's what Jesus says in truth. So I'm going to move to the last point here. The fourth point is this, and it's gossip. Everyone just logged off. <laughs> we have no more listeners. <laughs> no, Chris, you're really not going to talk about gossip, are you? Um, we have to. 1 Timothy 5.13 says this. I, I'm actually going to read this in, in its entirety. It says, besides that, besides that, Paul is talking about, uh, he's, he's uh, the way that he's teaching Timothy about how to encourage people to live. Um, regard, uh, am I in the wrong? I think I might be in the wrong. I am. I'm in Thessalonians. Sorry, folks. First Timothy five thirteen. So besides that, First Timothy, yeah, First Timothy. Here we go. Okay, let's try this. Besides that, they learn not only be idlers, not only to be idlers. So I, being an idler, like you're you're not busy enough, right? You're you're just you're sitting around. You got too much idle time, too much free time. And he says, also but also gossips and busybodies. <laughs> you see, those two things go together, right? If you don't keep yourself busy, what do you become? Well, you become a busybody, right? And, and a busybody is someone who's, you know, looking for something to talk about, fishing up gossip, you know? Um, I, you know, and, and some, some people are religious gossips. I mean, it's, you know, people are like, you know, I, but I pray for people, right? It's amazing. People just always come to me to tell me all their stuff, right? Well, that's not always a good thing. That's not always a good thing. They might be coming to you to tell you their stuff because maybe you're the gossip repository, right? And I know that some people really, they think, well, you know, it's, it's, it's for prayer. It's for purpose of prayer, right? You know, how, how many of you have ever gossiped a prayer request? Hey, please pray for Sally, right? Her, her husband committed adultery. Well, that's a little too much information, right? I guess we'll pray for Sally and we'll also pray for your gossip problem, you know? If she wanted us to know, she would have told all of us, right? But she didn't come to you and tell you that so that you would tell everybody. You're not helping anything in doing that. And that's, we got to be real careful about how we, we present things, right? And we, I remember once we had a kid in our youth group years ago. I won't say any names, but there, it was during an open prayer time where we're all sitting there. And this kid goes, hey, please pray for my brother who happened to be sitting in that circle, by the way, to get rid of this porn stash under his bed. <laughs> and it's like, well, you don't need to mention that. If he wanted us to pray about that, I mean, that's not, that's not a prayer request. That's gossip, right? It's a, and it's a violation of the ninth commandment. You know, and, and I know that you might be thinking, but Chris, I really do pray for these things. That's good. That's good. But look, you can't just throw in a Christian deed with a non-Christian act and expect to fool anyone. If someone has a prayer request, they can tell the people that they want to pray for what they want them to be prayed for. It's not our job to share everyone else's stuff with other people. So back to 1 Timothy. Saying what they should not say. Saying what they should not, okay? So listen to that. It, it means saying what they should not. It doesn't even say that what they're saying is untrue, okay? Sometimes uh, the gossip says things that are untrue, but sometimes gossip is actually saying things that are true, but with a heart that's untrue. 
It's like, yeah, it might be true, but you're not supposed to say that about those people or to those people, right? I mean, that's not their business. You're not loving your neighbor by sharing this. So, so what gossip then is, is gossip is sharing, sharing damaging information with the intent of, of really destroying someone's reputation, or maybe it's not even with the intent, intent of it, but it's happening. Sometimes, you know, you can murder a person physically, but look, sometimes you can murder someone emotionally. And in our day, let's just admit, I mean, let's just, we, we, we got to admit it. Look, we live in a culture where gossip has run so rampant that and our culture encourages us every single day to spread gossip. I mean, social media allows us to do only what evil stalkers used to do. I mean, think about that. I mean, how many of you right now, you follow people that you know you shouldn't be following? You, know, you just need to stop following them because, you know, even if the information you're getting is not bad, maybe your motive is not good. Maybe your whole intent in following these people and reading their timelines is to see what they say today that's gonna to stir you up, right? That's a form of participating in gossip. It's, it's harming you. It's malicious, it's evil. Look, I'm, and I'm gonna be really honest with you, I'm preaching to myself right here. I've taken a break from the two main social medias that I like, Twitter and Facebook. I don't really like Facebook, but I use it. You know, aside from posting these sermons online and then sharing these sermons and then liking an occasional, you know, I'll get a notification, which I probably should even turn those off. But what I try to do is when I get a notification, I see, oh, yeah, family member posted a picture. I'll like it, but then I won't scroll through anything anymore. I'm not, I'm not posted much. I posted something about Kyle's raffle last week, but beyond that, it's, it's, I'm done with it for, for at least a while. And guess what? Life's been good. I don't feel like I've really missed anything that I need to know. What I need to know, I find out. I, 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 you know. Look, Twitter is a cesspool of gossip. Facebook is a cesspool of gossip. And friends, look, these forms of social media alone have the potential to eat you alive from the inside. Before you know it, you're dead inside. Get out of those and live. Go, go live for real. And I know it's easy to justify it by saying, well, you know, I, the only way I can stay in contact with this person, okay, that's great. If that's the, all you're doing, delete everybody else and just stay in contact with those people. But find a way to get rid of the gossip that has so easily crept itself in to all of our lives because why? Because it's crammed to us every day. It is the way of life in America. That's all it is. So let me say this as I close. Uh, Christianity literally rises or falls on the ninth commandment because the, Bible's, the Bible itself is written by eyewitnesses or eyewitnesses that interviewed the, the authors, right? Those who were eyewitnesses all of which was overseen by God, the Holy Spirit, the God who cannot lie, the God who is truth. And so really what's at stake here with the ninth commandment as we read the Bible is if, if they say that they were there, that there were people and times and places and events, are we going to believe that or not? Right? Is it true or is it a lie? 
All of Christianity hangs on this in the balance of the ninth commandment. If you if you're watching today and you're not a Christian, look, this Bible, this book, it's actually 66 books written by roughly 40 authors over a couple thousand years and and they were there to see the things that happened and to hear the things that were said. They were writing them down so that we might today have a faithful account, a true account of what has actually happened. Because look, Christianity is not like philosophy. It's not like spirituality. It's history, it's people, it's times, it's places, it's circumstances, it's real events that actually happened. And if their testimony is not credible, if, it, if they're telling lies, then all of Christianity crumbles. But look, I'm telling you, it is credible. And the reason we know is because it's withstood the test of time. Some very wise people, and you can read about in the book of Acts, a man named Gamaliel said, look, if what they're saying is untrue, it'll die just like everything else. But it hasn't died. We have faithful witnesses who were there. This is why roughly 40 times or so in John's gospel, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth before he says something else. And you'll find three occasions in Paul's letters where he, and Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, where Paul says, look, I'm not lying when I say this. First John says that what we're talking about here, when we, when we write about Jesus, this stuff of Jesus is stuff that we've heard with our own ears. We saw with our own eyes. This is the guy that we, we hugged with our own, with our own arms and we, we, we touched with our own hands. We were there. Jesus's mother was there. Jesus's brothers were there. Jesus's enemies were there. And then they became his friends and we saw him rise from death. And the resurrection of Jesus, therefore, is a historical fact. They saw it. He died on the cross in place for our sins, for our sins. And he tells us, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. And it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the truth, and he says the truth, he does the truth, he is the very essence of truth. That is who he is. And he dies in place of all of our sins, for all of us liars, and he rises to conquer sin and death and untruth. And he pays the debt that was owed to God, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And there were about 500 people or so who saw him rise from death. They were the eyewitnesses. They, they, they reached out and, you know, Thomas reached out and touched the scars in his hands and the, and the scar in his side where the spear pierced his side when he was on the cross. Jesus' mother, Jesus' brothers were, were there to see him conquer death. They watched him die. They watched them put him in a grave. And they were there to see him alive, proving that he's God and Savior. They're eyewitnesses, and their testimony is true. And so friends, um, and maybe strangers, I don't know, whoever's tuning in, you now get to be the one who testifies. And we testify by telling the truth, by being truthful. Look, always, always. Your testimony in Christ isn't always just quoting Scripture or relating something that's happening back to Jesus, your testimony as a Christian is being truthful. That's what God desires. That's why he tells us in the ninth commandment, look, give, don't give false witness. Be truthful always. Jesus' brother James says it very simply. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. So God's people, you and me, should be really plain, really concise, really simple in our speech and in our communication, just as God is. 
And my prayer is that's the way it's been for you this morning. That's been really simple, not been hard to understand, but you've been able to, to realize, okay, this is, this is where I need to go with this in my life. This is what needs to happen for me. This is what I need to do as a response. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to respond in song, and we're going to respond by um, um, reflecting on God's Word and maybe on what, what needs to happen in your own heart um, this afternoon as you continue to reflect on truth and on being truthful. Um, I want to pray. And if you have communion prepared at your house, this would be a great time for you as we sing this song to examine your heart, examine any lies that might be within, any, any deceit, any falsehood, that any, anything that you may need to ask the Lord for forgiveness that you participated in. And then together with your family, let's, let's, let's take that, that bread that Jesus says represents his body and the blood that represents the forgiveness, the atonement for our sin, and, uh, and use it as an act of, of worship. Take that, ingest it, and then, and then sing with all your heart and all your might about the forgiveness um, that God has, has provided for us and the identity that he has given to us. That's what this next song is about. Um, we're actually going to sing a song here that was, re- this is a request. Our, our good buddy David Dean requested this song last night, so we're going to respond in worship with this song, No Longer Slaves. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we, um, we sing the truth, we, we desire to speak the truth, and um, we desire to be people of the truth. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, where we have not been truthful to identify those areas in our lives and correct them. It's impossible to completely correct. It's like going out and trying to gather up all the feathers that have been scattered in the wind. So what we need in times like this is your grace, Lord. And we need to do our best to live in truth from this moment forward to rebuild a character that maybe was destroyed by a lie, destroyed by some form of deceit, deceitfulness. Father, maybe we need to forgive someone that has been deceit, uh, deceptive to us, someone that has lied to us, someone that has wronged us. Whatever the case may be, Lord, we pray that that, that you would that you would convict us with that. I pray that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would comfort and encourage us where we, where we need it. Holy Spirit, just come and do what it is that you do as we worship, as we um, conclude our time together here over the next 10 minutes or so. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>